Hello, Redemption Hill. Welcome to church. Uh, you're probably sitting in your uh, family room, your living room, somewhere in the couch, chair, uh, maybe around the breakfast table, um, maybe in your pajamas. That's part of what it's like to do church at home. Uh, I'm in my backyard. As you can see, you might hear my neighbor's circular saw or hear the birds or the planes or children crying out. That's, that's all part of this new era. That's all fine and good. We're just glad to be able to gather together. Even though we're separate in our homes, we can still join our hearts and we can still hear from God and we can still praise and we can still uh, work to stay connected personally. And so I just want to encourage you to do that. Um, our, our webpage has all kinds of ways to connect. There's a connection card. You can share prayer requests or concerns or needs or anything along that line. If you're a guest with us, we're really glad you're joining with us this morning. We invite you any and every Sunday, 10 o'clock right here on our Facebook page. If you ever have difficulty finding it, you can also log on to our webpage and launch from there, www.redemptionhc.com. And that will lead you to the service, which you've obviously found this morning. And there's all kinds of ways to connect there. You can also just reach out directly, uh, email us. You can email me, robertb at rhchurches.com. I'd love to start a conversation with you you. Um, it's a little harder to stay connected, so we just need to help each other out, and I want to encourage you and invite you to do that. God is still at work. Ministry looks different. It's challenging, um, but he's still doing things. We've seen actually people have their lives transformed. We've heard of answered prayers. We've we've seen all kinds of great <clears throat> things that God's done in, in reaching people and loving people, and you're working hard at that, and we're so grateful. Uh, a few weeks ago, we shared that we had extra financial need because of the shift in ministry. Uh, it's it's just a weird time, and you responded so well. Uh, God has provided so well. Thank you for that. Encourage you as God moves you to keep giving. You can do that online through our website, or you can always drop a check in the mail, and that will be used to touch lives, to impact people, to share the gospel, to to meet needs. Uh, you may want to get more directly involved personally in meeting needs, and obviously we're not doing that face-to-face, -face, but uh, there are ways of, of connecting, and you can find out on our, our webpage. You may have needs that you want to share with us that you think we can be able to help with, and you can just, again, reach out on our webpage. This morning, we're going to continue through our series, uh, Essentials, Truth When All Else Fails, and our um, young adults director, Derek Brover, is going to be bringing the message, focusing on what it means to love God and what that looks like as we grow in that really important rhythm of life, love God and love others. So I just encourage you to join in in singing and in engaging with the Word and engaging with each other. You can use the comment feature and uh, share prayer requests, anything like that. Just glad that we get to gather together. Uh, let me pray for us as we get started. Lord Jesus, it's, um, it is a strange time, and yet uh, nothing takes you by surprise, and your Holy Spirit is not limited by location. Uh, and so, Holy Spirit, we just ask that you'd work in our lives, in our hearts, in our homes, in our families, in the church, and in our community. Lord, may we uh, grow in loving you and grow in loving others, and would you use this time um, to shape us, to bless us, to encourage us, to challenge us, to transform us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hello, Redemption Hill family. Uh, I want to share a few updates with you, one relating to the COVID-19 cases in our region, as well as a member care ministry update. And then lastly, I want to share a few thoughts and possibly challenge you with a few things. 
First, um, COVID-19 cases in the Whittier, La Habra, La Mirada area uh, continue to increase with approximately 700 cases in our region. That extends roughly from Brea uh, over to Pico Rivera and from Hacienda Heights south down to Norwalk. And so that's a large area, but there's about 700 cases in that region right now. And over the past two weeks, the number of cases have actually doubled or nearly doubled uh, during that time frame. And uh, COVID-19 is now the leading cause of death in Los Angeles County. Uh, with that said, the number of cases vary greatly from one city to the next. And so as you look at the numbers, you see that uh, some cities have much higher uh, number of cases than others. Um, that uh, Also, if you have a need to be tested, there is a new uh, drive-in test facility at PIH Hospital. You can contact them, set an appointment, and do a drive-in if you do need to be tested. From a member care ministry standpoint, I just want to say thank you for all the folks that have been a part of that ministry, and we continue to uh, want to meet needs as they arise. We've been doing some grocery shopping. We've provided meals to some families. And uh, again, uh, I know that there's other ministry that is going on. We have folks that have been making masks. And actually, um, I want to say thank you to the Birdings who actually made my mask and appreciate that. Um, but uh, we've also seen a, a drop off in some of the requests for uh, assistance. I just want to encourage uh, folks, if you do have needs, feel free to contact the church office and someone will be in touch to follow up and see if, how we can help you with any particular needs you may have. And lastly, uh, since last week's message uh, from Pastor Robert, I've been thinking about uh, one of the statements he made in his message. He said, this isn't a disruption to what God is doing. It is what God is doing. Well, all week, like you, I've been hearing discussions about how and when to reopen the economy and return to normal. And that's something we all want to see, but there are significant potential risks if we don't do this correctly and we do it too quickly. Um, our leaders have, haven't dealt with something like this before, so this is new for them. And it's easy for this to be a political football that they're dealing with. And we're talking about people's lives here. We want this done right. So we need to be praying for godly wisdom uh, during this time. We want to see that occur um, properly. But in thinking about uh, Pastor Robert's statement, this is what God is doing. I realize how selfish I can be during this time. Um, it's easy to look at my life circumstances, uh, my finances, my plans and priorities, and want to see actions taken that will get me back to my comfort zone. And yet I need to be asking, what does God want me to do uh, during this time? What does God want me to reconsider in my life? And what does he want me to be learning during this time? There are tremendous costs out there uh, being incurred by so many um, with social distancing and the stay-at-home order, it's impacting people very hard, especially our business owners, those that are out of work. But if this is what God is doing, then I realize this is um, God shaking our world's priorities. He's shaking my priorities and he's shaking yours as well. I'm trying to navigate the days ahead with the view that they are an opportunity. So as we interact with our family, our friends, our neighbors, we need to be helping them to see that God is in this time and focus on what God is seeking to do in our lives right now. We need to be willing to reassess our priorities and not just strive to return to our former comfort zone. Hopefully we can use this time to do some spring cleaning, as it were, in our lives by reprioritizing and allocating our time to accomplish what Christ desires in us. 
I trust we are living in a unique time and God is giving us an opportunity to be a part of what he's doing. I pray that the Lord will shape and mold me for his purposes during this season, and I hope you'll join in and be a part of it as well. Good morning, Redemption Hill. I'm so thankful for the opportunity to be able to share with you this morning about a text of scripture that I love, uh, a psalm that is really something I, is dear to me. Um, before that, though, I'd like to talk to you about something else that I love, baseball. I love baseball, uh, and my wife, April, will sometimes make fun of me because I will meet a stranger who also loves baseball, and we will start talking about baseball, and we share this love for the game. And it's a bond that's that exists even um, though there's rivalries. There's rivalries between teams. I'm an Angels fan, uh, you know, and we're, we don't, we're not supposed to like other certain fans and things like that, and Dodgers and Giants fans aren't supposed to like each other, and um, man, one of my good friends is is a Yankees fan. Um, how, how do we how do we function? Well, we love baseball, and I found that right now, when we've had this full long month of no baseball, that that bond is even stronger. Uh, and when we talk, we talk about our love for the game and all the things that we're missing. We talk about how man, wouldn't it be great to see uh, a pitcher's duel and a pickoff at second and a walk off home run man, it would be great to go to a game. Um, and again, um, April says that I am a little pathetic and I should stop whining about how there's no baseball and I should just get over it. And April, I love you, but you just don't understand. Um, and I think the Psalm that we saw last week in Psalm 63 and the Psalm we're going to see today have a little bit of a similar flavor where if you remember from Psalm 63, David is saying, and I long to be in the presence of God. I long to be in the temple, but I'm not there. And so this stinks. Uh, I want to be there. And the psalm we're going to see today has a little bit of that same flavor. Uh, Robert was looking at Psalm 63, and we were looking at David's affections for God, his love for God. And he was encouraging us to have our affections for God stirred up by that text. And I want to encourage you today to cultivate a hunger for the worship of God. And I think that this psalm, this poem, which is a prayer and a song, uh, Psalm 84, is inviting us to cultivate a hunger for the worship of God, a, an appetite for it. Just like maybe uh, I have an appetite for baseball, which is mostly unsatisfied at this point, but that's okay. Uh, if you have a Bible, go to Psalm 84. Psalm 84. And... I want you to see the psalmist's hunger here, um, what he longs for, and then we'll ask the question, why? Why is this so important to him? What's the big deal about this? And then we'll try to see how that can then connect to us um, and how we can also enter into enjoying what he's enjoying. And so um Maybe the idea of just like if I say, hey, baseball, and you're like, I don't get it. I don't care about baseball. Maybe this morning I'm saying, hey, the worship of God. And you might be thinking the same thing, thinking I, I don't. that's not something I desire. Whether or not that's something you currently desire, I think this psalm and the scripture invites us to come to him and to see how good this is. 
So I'm going to read first few verses of Psalm 84, and this prayer to God, I hope you see his longing here. It says in Psalm 84, verse 1, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. What is he longing for here? He's saying, man, I wish I was in the temple. I want to be in the temple in Jerusalem. I, my soul longs for that. I want to be there. And if I was there, he says, man, that's where my heart and my flesh would sing for joy to the living God. Um, that's where he wants to be. And in fact, he wants to be there so bad, he kind of envies those who live there. Um, and he says that in verse 3 and 4, as he talks about birds who make their nests in the temple, and then the people who work in the temple and live there. And he says, man, I wish I lived there. Look at verses 3 and 4. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. So he's saying, man, if the birds are blessed who live there, how much more the priests and those who work in the temple. Man, I wish I could be there, but I'm not. I'm on some kind of pilgrimage. Something is maybe preventing him from being there. And so he talks about the journey to Jerusalem and that it's worth it. And he says that in verses five and following, look at his journey and the journey of those who would make this pilgrimage to the temple. He says, blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, which might mean weeping, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. And so he's saying uh, there's this dry dryness or maybe weeping that we pass through, but it's okay because there's going to be rain and everything's getting better. We're getting closer to Jerusalem. And when we get there, what are we going to do? When we get to the temple, we're going to pray and we're going to pray for the king. And so in verses 8 and 9, here's his, he's praying. He says, O Lord God of hosts, which means God of armies, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed or on the face of your king. So here he's praying. Uh, and he's inviting the reader to join him. And he's saying, this is so good. You should want to make this journey too. Well, why? Why does he want to make this journey? What is it about the temple that's so special? Um, if it's not clear by now, I, I think it's pretty clear. It's God himself, right? It's not like he's just going to stand around the temple and look around and be like, this is a sweet temple. No, it's actually the God who dwells there. And that's really clear in the last few verses. So look with me at the last three verses and you'll see that it's God himself and the blessing of being in his presence, that's what the psalmist wants. Verse 10, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, Blessed is the one who trusts in you. He's saying, it, you are so blessed when you come into the presence of God. 
I mean, look at the way he describes God in this psalm. He says he's the, the God of armies. He's the living God. He's real. He's the God of Jacob. He made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he's going to keep that covenant with his people. He is a sun and shield. He's the one who gives light and life and protection and blessing. And man, I want to come into the temple to experience that. And this psalm then is an invitation to that. Now, in a similar way, like let's say I was trying to convince you um, that baseball is awesome. Now, I know that if you either, if you don't love baseball, then that might, I don't know, that might not work. Um, and I, I'm okay with that. Uh, but just say I'm trying to explain it to you. Let's say you say to me, why do you like baseball? I mean, baseball seems boring. I don't get it. Uh, I would tell you, or maybe you say, why do you like the angels? And I would tell you specifically. Maybe you'd be like, oh my gosh, I shouldn't have asked. Here he goes. He's talking about it forever. And I would say, no, you don't understand um, how awesome it is to see Mike Trout play center field. And man, I was so looking forward to seeing Shohei Otani pitch. Um, and it's not just what's on the field, because you can watch that on TV. Uh, but it, it's, the, it's going. It's the experience. It's, it's going with my friends. It's going with my family. It's going with my dad. That's something we do together. And we'll bring, sometimes we'll go uh, with the kids and my dad, and my dad will bring an excessive amount of, of treats for the kids, and, and they love it, and they're like on sugar, like, you know, high on sugar, and, and they, they're having a good time until they crash. And um, my dad will bring his radio, which always drives me crazy, but, you know, it's, it's kind of special too, because that's what we do. And um, I miss all that, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm aching for that, I'm longing for that, but if you ask why I love it, I would tell you about how great it is. And in the same way, in the same way, I think that's what this psalm is doing. And it's inviting us, man, worshiping God, you don't know how good it is. You don't understand how good this God is. And the, the experience of singing to him, of knowing him, of coming into his presence, it's better than anything. Now, um, what do we do with that? Because we can't go to the temple uh, Let's say we went to Jerusalem. Even if we went to Jerusalem, we can only get to the Western Wall, right? And so you might say, well, what do we do with this Old Testament poem about going to the temple? How are we supposed to do that? Um, well, Jesus gives us this great answer in John chapter 4. He is talking in this really unlikely, strange conversation with the Samaritan woman. And the Jews and the Samaritans despise one another and this woman has had really a sordid past, and she's a woman, and he's a man, and in that culture, they're not supposed to talk, and he's, you know, his every, and he's a teacher, and so nothing makes sense for him to have this conversation, but Jesus is all about it, and he talks to her, and um, she brings up the division between the Samaritans and the Jews, and how, hey, you guys think that our temple is illegitimate, so... You know, we can't go to Jerusalem to worship in your temple. And Jesus responds, and, and his response um, is really interesting. Um, he says, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. So he doesn't disagree with her that their temple is illegitimate. However... He says, but the hour is coming 
and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So here's somebody who has a life full of sin, who is spiritually very far away from the temple, and he's saying the Messiah has come, and now there's an opportunity to come directly into the presence of God. Not on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, or on this Temple Mount, but anywhere in the world. God is actually seeking worshipers like that, who can worship him, who will worship him anywhere on the earth. And we know, of course, from the rest of the New Testament, how that works. We know that through Jesus's life and death and resurrection, and if we put our faith in him, that we become children of God. And we are then able to access God and come right into his presence, even though we're far away from the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, where the temple doesn't even stand anymore. And so then an invitation like this in Psalm 84 totally makes sense for us because he's saying, I long to be in your presence. Well, we can actually do this. We don't have to make a pilgrimage through the Valley of Baca. We can just go straight into the presence of God through faith in Jesus. Why would we wanna do that? Why should we be motivated to do that? Because of the joy and blessing that we can have in his presence. Just like the psalmist says here in these last few verses, he says that he would rather spend a day in the courts of the presence of God than in a thousand elsewhere. He's saying, man, it's so good. You should want to come in. Now, it might seem kind of strange for me to say that the motivation for wanting to worship God is the joy and the blessing that we will receive in God's presence. That might seem self-centered and selfish and not really God-centered and God-honoring. And maybe that's not the right motivation. Maybe we should want to worship because it's our duty and because it is the correct thing to do. Um, and I don't think that's the case. John Piper does a great job explaining this in his book, Desiring God. And in that book, his chapter on worship, he compares worship to a feast. And he says, look, we come to God hungry, needing to be filled and satisfied. And that not only is okay, to come to God with need, but that's actually right. Because if we come to God saying, God, I wanna offer you something, I wanna give you something, then we've got things upside down. We now think that God needs something from us instead of us needing something from God. And so no, we come to God needy, saying, I need you, I desire you, and that's what glorifies him. That's what shows his worth. After all, worship, the word worship means ascribing worth to something. So when we sing to God and worship God privately with others, we are ascribing worth to him. Think of it this way. Let's say I spent all this time talking about how much I love baseball. And then I say, look, I'm going to be straight with you. Um, I actually work for Major League Baseball. And um, part of my job is just to promote the brand. And so I'm supposed to talk about it a certain number of times and I'm supposed to be enthusiastic. So you got to understand I'm doing my job. That's why I'm plugging baseball, even though I'm doing this sermon. Um, personally, I don't even actually like baseball. I think it's kind of boring. I don't get it. You'd be like, what? You're such a fake. You're such a hypocrite. Uh, and in a similar way, 
I don't think we're supposed to say, yeah, you know, it's my job to say God is great. Worshiping him is good. Of course, it's awesome. But really, I just do it because I have to. No, uh, he actually wants us to want him. And the joy and blessing in his presence, we should actually have a hunger for that and cultivate that because that is what will display his worth. His worth doesn't change, but our joy in it will show everyone how good he is. And so I think this psalm um, expresses the delight of the worshiper and the hunger of the worshiper and then invites us to cultivate that same hunger and delight. So what I'd like to do now is talk about two ways that maybe practically you and I can cultivate that delight in personally worshiping God in our everyday lives. It might feel like right now, man, I can't cultivate my personal worship of God. I'm not growing as a worshiper of God. I am going backwards. Um, I, I, I don't get to enjoy the same kind of experiences that I normally enjoy uh, gathering at church and meeting with my small group and my ABC class and my whatever. I'm doing those things on Zoom and I'm making phone calls and I'm watching the service, but it's not the same. I'm not growing. I'm going backwards. Um, and I hope that's not the case. And instead of just seeing this as a hindrance, what we're doing right now and um, the, the stay-at-home orders and the social distancing, instead of seeing all that stuff as a hindrance, let's see it as an opportunity for us to personally grow as a worshiper of God. Think of it this way. When we gather to worship uh, at, for a church service in person, we're not supposed to be just people gathering to worship. We're supposed to be worshipers of God gathering to worship, right? So let's spend time focusing on that foundation, that we would cultivate our personal worship of God so that when we do come together again, physically in each other's presence, we would be a bunch of worshipers gathering to worship. Let me give you two things that I think would maybe practically help us, and um, they're helpful to me in thinking about how to grow as a worshiper of God. The first one is I think we should make sure our personal worship is infused with everything that God has done for us in Christ. So my personal worship, I want that to reflect and be totally colored by and infused with everything that God says about what he's done for me in Jesus. If I don't do that, if I don't have what he has done for me in Christ shaping how I'm thinking about him and myself, then what is my thinking going to be shaped by? My own fears, thoughts, anxieties, feelings, preferences, um, my own sense of identity from my job and my family and my hobbies or whatever, or the lack of those things. Man, I lost my job. Where's my identity? Where's my worth? And now I'm questioning things or all kinds of things that flood our thinking and, and hurt us and affect our lives. Those things might shape us and I think burden us. And then we come to God to pray or to worship and man, there's no joy. I don't know what to talk to him about except for how everything's terrible. But instead, we should have our way of thinking shaped by what the Bible says 
he's done for us in Christ because it's so awesome that it will shape our perspective. It will change our perspective. And I want to give you just one example, um, just one text where in Titus chapter 3, where Paul describes the salvation we have in Christ in such a beautiful way that I think if um, if this kind of shapes our thinking, it would it really would help us worship and help us cultivate our own hunger for God. I'm going to read from Titus chapter 3, and this is Paul's one of Paul's descriptions of the salvation, salvation we have in Christ. He says in Titus chapter 3, verse 3, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I know that's a long sentence from Paul. And sometimes these words like justified and grace, they can just kind of wash over us. So I invite you to check that out on your own. Titus chapter 3, verse 3 and following. What an awesome description of the salvation we have. He says, we used to be enslaved to our passions, but then God our Savior appeared and he saved us. Not because of anything that we did, because we didn't do anything to deserve it, but because of his own goodness. He washed us. He regenerated us. He made us new. He poured out his Holy Spirit on us. He made us heirs. We are sons and daughters of God who are justified, seen as righteous, even though we're not, in Jesus. Man, that is really cool. And so if that shapes my thinking, then when I try to worship, my worship is going to be changed and colored by that. Um, let me give you like a practical example of, let's say one of my kids does something wrong and I have to correct them. And let's just assume for the sake of argument that I do a really good job of being gentle about it. It doesn't always happen. Um, but let's say I did. Yet they're still really upset. And they feel like, man, I've done something wrong. That's too overwhelming. And I'm, I'm really upset. And they don't know how to handle the grief of knowing that they did something really bad. Well, we have a way to think about our sin and our shame and our guilt because we know that we're forgiven through Jesus. We know that he calls us to repent, to be reconciled to each other. And we know that our sin is punished on Jesus. And so we receive grace from God. And then that gospel and the reality of what God has done for us then shapes our behavior and our worship. And then I can pray and I can praise and I can say, God, thank you for what you've done for me through Jesus. So I encourage you to grow as a worshiper of God by having all of your personal worship infused with the reality of what God has done for us in Christ. Praise him um, for everything he's done for us. Read about it and then thank him for it and think through it. Uh, the second thing that I think would really help us grow as worshipers of God is to not only have our worship infused with what God has already done for us in Christ, but also to have it really infused with everything that he will do for us in Christ, everything he's promised us. Because he's promised us a lot. 
And uh, Peter says in, in 1 Peter chapter 1 that he encourages and exhorts his readers to set their hope fully on the grace that they will receive at the revelation of Jesus. In other words, he says, put all your eggs in one basket. When Jesus comes back, that is it. That is our hope. Put all of your hope in that. And man, isn't it easy to put our hope in other things that are future to us? Um, right now, we may be putting our hope in, I mean, I might be thinking, man, I can't wait till we get baseball back. And I am thinking that, and that, I think that's okay, as long as that's not in, in the center of my soul, right, that my hope is baseball, right? Um, but that's that's normal. But I might think, man, I can't wait till we get sports back. I can't wait till um, I can get a job if I lost one or I, I'm, I'm free from this furlough. I can't wait till we can go to the grocery store and it's not so weird. Um, I can't wait till we get through all these things. And, and I don't think that would be enough because the, the hope of the resurrection, the hope of what we have in Christ and what we're waiting for is so much greater and more powerful than any other hope. If I get sick or a loved one gets sick, somebody dies, that death, um, a lot of times, or, or, or I should say sickness, let's say, um, we wanna get to the other side of that. And we think all I'm hoping for is, is to get to the other side of that and get healthy again. But when it comes to death, well, the other side of that is not peaceful, right? Um, we feel a sense of gutted loss. But if our hope is in what God has done for us in Christ, then we know that just as Jesus rose from the dead in a changed, resurrected body that doesn't grow sick and doesn't die, that we are living for a day when we ourselves will have resurrected bodies and live on a new earth in the presence of God where we will say, man, better is one day here than a thousand elsewhere. And we will have hope beyond sickness, beyond stay-at-home orders, beyond anything. We will have hope that is eternal. And so I invite you to have your personal worship, um, time that you spend with God, really infused with the reality of what God has done for us in Jesus in the past and what he will do for us in the future. That means read this and allow it to shape your thinking and your hopes and your fears. Take all your pain and anxiety and difficulty and maybe really terrible situations, bring all that to God. Um, and then allow the gospel to shape it and then we can worship him with joy. Then I think we'll be like the psalmist who says, man, it is so good to come into the presence of God. I encourage you to, to find ways to do this regularly. Sunday morning from 10 to 11 as a time of worship, it's probably not enough. When we gather together again, I don't want to just gather together as somebody who worshiped a little bit online while we weren't apart, but I want us to be a group of worshipers who are gathering to worship. Then it, it makes a lot more sense uh, and it'll be a beautiful thing. In the meantime, let's start to cultivate daily, weekly habits of growing in our hunger for God and our hunger for worship, allowing all of our thinking and a time maybe of singing to him, praying to him, meditating on his word, reading his word, 
allowing all of that to be shaped by what he's done for us in Christ, and then pause to enjoy God. Let's pray. God, we want our thinking and our lives to be shaped by what you have done for us through Jesus and what you promised to do for us. And we pray that those truths would so change our thinking that we would come into your presence on a daily basis like the psalmist longs for you and we would long for you and we would come into your presence and sing and be changed and have a growing hunger for you. And as our hunger for you is satisfied by you, may you get all the glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.